Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 1485 of the Lots on Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland, coming to you on a Sunday evening into Monday here in early June. Today's show is brought to you by Prize Picks. If you're a first time user, get 100% as a deposit match up to $100 with promo code locked on. That is prizepicks.com, promo code locked on. Also, want to encourage you at the top of the podcast to make us your first listen here at Lots on Hawks each and every day. And please subscribe anywhere you get your podcasts, places like Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, etc. And I'm joined on today's show by my friend Glenn Willis of Peachtree Hoops at ATL on 29. Glenn and I. I've been doing this player capsule series for a while now. So if you missed any of those uh, shows in the, in the past, Joan Johnson, AJ Griffin, Sadiq Bay, etc. Those will be available to you in the archive of this podcast. And today we'll be focusing on Onyeka Akangwu, a very intriguing, fun, really talented player on the Hawks roster, perhaps a bright future ahead for Onyeka. We'll get into all of what transpires there and hopefully uh, at least from last year and into the future. In a second, first though, I want to plug other stuff on the podcast as well. I did a three-part NBA draft breakdown with Ben Pfeiffer last week. I've had mailbag content. Of course, Glenn and I have been talking. I had Howard Beck on the show a few weeks ago, Robbie Callen, Bill DeFilippo, et cetera, et cetera, all of that on the podcast feed. So one more time, please subscribe to the podcast. Tell a friend about the show. And without any further delay, we'll have the intro. And myself and Glenn will be coming back to talk about Onyeka Akami. You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, every day. I am joined again by Glenn Willis of ATL129 and Peachtree Hoops. Continue our player capsule series. Glenn, how are you on? I'm not going to tell people, I guess we're recording, we're recording some on Memorial Day. I'll just spoil it. It's Memorial Day. How are you, sir? <laughs> Good. All things considered. I think you know we're doing a big move into our new new house. You can see nothing on the walls, but this is, <laughs> this is an actual real background and like the. You're back. Uh, kind of, yeah. The, the other background I was using was actually just my adjacent wall. So it was actually in the same room. It's just a featuring a painting my daughter did a few years ago very proud of so i gotta get that up in here eventually but it's uh you know i, I had no time to kind of uh you know get all <laughs> balled up i had to throw a hat on and, and kind of just you know make it work no I, I appreciate you doing this as always uh this won't go till later in the week um because uh you know what we're recording this actually just before game seven of celtics heat so we don't know what's going to happen there if you're if you have questions about that I will answer them later in the week when we know what happens uh, <laughs> and ahead of the finals. But uh, Glenn is flexible enough and willing enough to join me for all of these episodes. We have talked, as I said before, I brought Glenn in about a lot of different players already. And today is going to be a Kongwu, which is a very interesting um, prognosis slash player capsule. He is still 22 years old until December, just finished year three, about to be year four. Um, because this is not Glenn's favorite topic. We're not going to do a lot of extension talk on this podcast, I don't think. Um, but that's a big looming thing that's going to happen for a Kongwu this summer, potentially. They're talking about extensions, and he's, he's eligible for that until October. And the big thing for me, anyway, and we'll get to this, I'm sure, is that this is his first like full, no-injury, durable season. He played 80 games in year three, and he had kind of, kind of a false start, had some injury stuff in year two. He did miss one game with injury this year. It was a hamstring tightness, and the other one was personal reasons. So nice to see him on the floor, still in a backup role for the most part, but started some games with Clint out, and uh, you know, basically everyone agrees he's uh, already good, and the future is very bright with the Kongwu, but before we dive into some specific stuff, um, where are you at with the Kongwu at this point in time? Because you know, a lot of people think he's a, he's a budding star or wherever he's going to be, but uh, year three into year four, uh, where is your heart and your head stand with the Kongwu? Yeah, I'm really excited about him. I thought he showed uh, real strides this year. It was interesting because I think sometimes Hawks fans forget. I think maybe sometimes I have to stop and intentionally remind myself the start of this past season was not great for him. 
right? Yeah. It was a pretty kind of up and down choppy start for him. Um, and but he really, really improved across the, the bulk of the season. Um, you know, I, it, it is interesting to think about the looming extension window and all that sort of stuff because it's like you sit here and think, you know, should his team kind of view him as someone who deserves quasi starter money? Is like, is he is he there? You know, uh, or it, would that be based upon more around all of this potential that he shows? And you know, what's um, kind of comes another dimension to that is the last say three months of this past season where to me he did play at a starter level, right? Yeah. And, and uh, But it wasn't always starter workload. He still has kind of some foul issues now and then. And so I, I'm extremely excited about him. I think he, he works really hard. I think he adds to his game consistently. Um, but it's hard for me to say I think we should know exactly what he's going to become because there is the ceiling is quite high in, in my view. Um, but as is always the case, it's, it's like, you know, how often does do players actually hit the full kind of kind of ceiling? You know, so I'm super excited about him. I think he's ready. I know we'll get into this, but I think he's ready to start in in a vacuum. Uh, you know, I would say you know we can kind of talk about the team implications and decisions and stuff like that. But I, you know, I put him like right there with Jalen and AJ in terms of like I'm just, I'm just as excited about him as I, I am those two guys. Yeah, and in some ways he's he's more proven. He he has an extra year on Jalen. He has two years on AJ. Um, and through no fault of his own, um, he's not had the opportunity to prove his entire package at this point in time. And again, there's nothing wrong with that. It's something you and I have said on different podcasts for months and months and years at this point. It's no one's fault that they have Clint and Onyeka on the team. Like, they have two very, very good center options. Clint is the more established veteran. He's been the starter. We'll talk about him at a later date on this player capsule series. But Akongwu, the one thing he cannot prove to this point is that he's capable of being a full-time 30-minute-a-game player. He's not been able to – he's not been asked to do that. It's not his fault. But he was durable this year. And I was actually going to ask you if you thought that he was a starting caliber player because we talk about that sometimes. And I, I know I've said it. I've kind of just thrown it out there as a casual statement. And I believe it. I think, you know, this is not a sort of arbitrary endpoint, but I think he's a top 30, 35, 40 center in the league already, proven to be that already in the simple in the sample size that he's done, but he's not had the chance. Uh, and I want to frame it that way. It's not, it's it's a chance, it's not anything he's done wrong. He's not being given an opportunity because of Clint to take on that role. And that might be the case going into year four. Nothing is assured. Like they, they could still run in the season with Clint on Yeka. I'm I'm kind of expecting or maybe projecting a change of, of some court, some sort potentially, but very, very possible that they go into next year with Clint and Yekka still on the roster. And then we're talking about the same thing again, where Kong was going to be this 23 game, 23 minute a game backup again. And I'm sure he wouldn't necessarily love that, but he's a great team guy. There's been no complaining him and Clint get along very well by all accounts. So no real issues there, but as far as like his overall performance, and we'll dive into the two sides of the ball. Of course, you know, the metrics love him on a per minute basis. It is easier in some ways, especially for bigs to, um, be more efficient, to be more productive on a permanent basis when they're playing less minutes. That is worth noting. And the foul thing is interesting um, because, you know, I pointed out sometimes and it's I'm a big fan of Onyeka. I like the draft pick when it happened. Like I've been very high on him, but he's had some foul issues in the past. Um, they actually have gotten better, which we'll get into in a second. But um, yeah, I mean, it's not people I think listen to this podcast regularly will know this, but I'll speak for you on this one. You can correct me. You and I really like Clint. Like we really like Clint. And it's not... Um, 
and I think that kind of colors things for some people like that might think that we're like choosing Clint. It, that's not really what it, like we we like a on that guy a lot too. I, I know I do. And I think you do as well. Um, it's just this uh, this one spot on the floor, and it happens to be the one spot on the floor where they, where guys can't really play together, where they're um, they overlap. So I just thought at the top of this podcast, I'm, I'm sure we have some new listeners along the way that might not know how we stand about this. Basically, my operating theory is that like it's it's not a bad thing to have 48 minutes of really 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 good center play. It's just the way that the cookie is crumbled so far, and because they don't really have the capability of playing much together, they've never really really tried it. It's been very very minuscule over the last couple of years. That's just kind of left the Congo with this 20 to 22 minute a game role. Today's show is brought to you by the award-winning app at PrizePix. PrizePix Daily Fantasy made easy. It's amazing. I know that you will love it as well. It's very easy to use, PrizePix, and they also have safe and fast withdrawals. Every day during the NBA playoffs, one PrizePix user will actually have a chance to win a million dollars. Yes, one entry placed after 8 a.m. Eastern time will be randomly selected each and every day. Whoever places actually that entry will give in a six-pick flex with the following payouts, six correct picks, a.k.a. six for six, $1 million, five out of six, $80,000, four out of six, $60,000. And if you want full details, you can be found at pricepicks.com slash million. You must opt in at that link to be eligible for the million dollar entry. And once you opt in, all you have to do is play normally at Price Picks, and you can be the lucky winner that is selected to have that chance to win a million dollars. Download the app right now. Go to pricepicks.com. Sign up play Daily Fantasy Sports. If you're a first time user, get 100% instant deposit match up to $100 with promo code locked on. That is promo code locked on for that instant deposit match up to $100. Check it out now at Price Picks. And one more time, the URL is pricepix.com slash million yeah absolutely i you know for me it's especially when you have if you project the point of attack you know issues they've had on the defensive side as a team the last few years you want 48 like really good you know back line set the defense anchor you know you, you want that as much as possible and i think the hawks are in a really really good spot around that the the one kind of counter thought that i have around that is um, depending upon what you're prioritizing, right? If if you're elevating the prioritization around developing Yeka, you probably want to give him starters workload. He, yeah. In my mind, he needs that to kind of throw himself into a scenario and into a context that kind of challenges him to take that next step. I don't think he has anything to prove for the most part. I mean, you know, can he make 25 threes? And we could talk about the different phases of the game that kind of started right. to show up this year, right? But for me, to him to kind of really maximize his potential and to throw himself into a set of challenges that will, I believe, cause him to need to really step up and bring his best, I think he needs to be exposed to starters workload to do that. Um, now, there's no simple answer there, you know, in, mm-hmm. in my mind. I, I, I don't know that I'm ready to say what should the Hawks do at center. That's We, we have a little time before we kind of get into uh, – you know, approaching the July one time frame, you know, it, late June time frame and stuff. Well, I just know when I watch both of these guys, I I think to myself, they both need to be starting. I mean, they're you know, yeah. for one of for one of the two to not kind of have that starters workload, they're kind of being underserved, under leveraged, under you know, utilized or what have you. And so, whatever scenario shifts that to potentially happen, or or maybe not, you know. Um, that, that's just the way it, way it looks to me is like both of these guys are no doubt starting centers and, and, and I, it, and I have a hard time imagining myself seeing one of them as not a starter next year and thinking like, Oh, and not thinking like, oh, well, yeah, there's something kind of being punted or in, in, in terms of value for whichever one that would be. Right. And we'll, we'll get into a more, but I think it's, it's good to kind of lead with this on some level because 
I agree. I think going into last year it was totally fine to have these guys on the same on the same team and have them be playing together. Um, it is important. Uh, Congo had not had not played more than fifty games in the season before this year. He had been banged up and he had had that late start. And you know he is still very very young. He was a one and done in college and all that stuff. But I do think, and it's not to say that they have to trade Clint or that they have to move on from anything like that. But I agree with you. I think for a Kongwu, and if I'm honestly, if, if I'm his agent, if I'm his reps, I'd like him to be starting going into year four in particular, especially if, if he's not extended, they're going to be wanting him to play. And that's a very natural thing. It's, that, it's not any animosity between the, between the players, but Clint's still too good to be a backup. He's a top 15, 20 center in the league. So you can't just like bring him off the bench. That's been a popular idea with Hawks fans that love Kongwu. It's just, okay, bring, bring Clint off the bench. Well, Clint's making starter money. And Clint's a starter. Like that's not a move you can really make in a vacuum. So we'll talk about Clint at a later date. But it's, it's sort of good to get into uh, kind of how they are right now because it's uh, year four is going to be big for Onyeka. Well, I'm sure we'll talk about it at the end, at the end of this competition again. But it's a big summer for him. It's a big year coming up for him. And uh, that sort of sets the stage for because it's just like all kinds of logistics and contract stuff and development. And uh, I think we are on the same page that he needs to be playing more uh, to to sort of further his development in the future. Um, so uh, let's start defensively. We usually start offensively for a lot of these guys. I think I get it's a set, most centers, not all, but most centers. You want to start with defense on some level. That's the end of the floor where, uh, you know, he really, really pops in the numbers um, just for a couple of them before we dive into him. He was top 15 in the league. Yes. In the league in block rate blocks per game and total blocks as again, as a backup primarily, that's very impressive to go ahead and do that. Um, still not perfect, but he's obviously been very good as a prospect defensively. He's he's improved as a rebounder. Uh, not great there, but has gotten better in important fashion because that was a weakness that he had to address. And then there's the foul thing, which we talked about earlier, but he's gone from six per 36 minutes as a rookie, then is 5.4 as a sophomore. And this year it was 4.9. That's still a lot, but it has gotten better every year. So um, what have you seen from him sort of taking steps forward? And where is he as a defender? Because I'm sure that some people that are listening to this podcast are like, hey, he's, he's still 6'8". Yeah, he's he is. <laughs> he is. He he's not the biggest guy, and you know that's obviously the thing that's not going to change. Um, but I I feel like there's a kind of a couple things to kind of start with on defense. Number one is that I still think he's better in space, right? His yeah. his his unique skills pop more when he's in space or when he's covering ground, closing space. You know, in the those kinds of situations. The, the, the area where he's had to work harder from a technique standpoint and a discipline standpoint is a guy that wants to take him down on the on the low block, work on the interior, uh, push him as a rebounder, etc. There's so much technique at play in those situations, especially as when you're off on the smaller guy in that kind of scenario. A lot of his fouls, like, that still happened kind of two things. One, he still brings his hands down a lot where he needs to be disciplined and kind of keeps his, his hands up. Yeah. And I think part of that is an instinct to know that I'm not so tall. So I, I don't know that I can challenge the shot at the top, which is how all centers are in the NBA are kind of taught us to challenge the shot at the highest you know point. Um, and, and so maybe there's something there about him being used to kind of being the smaller guy there. The other is a rebounder. Bigger guys will come down and kind of get on top of him, and you get that kind of double hooking kind of situation, mm -hmm. and where Anyek is kind of hooking from underneath because he's not as big. And for whatever reason, NBA officials tend to always call the guy that kind of is hooking from the bottom 
Um, and and that, that like I don't if I, we went back and kind of looked at all his fouls again, I'm not going to do it. But if we <laughs> did, um, I mean, so many would come bringing his hands down in an undisciplined fashion against a guy who's driving or shooting, and then that hooking kind of situation that he's got to kind of keep himself out of that. So as being more proactive as a rebounder, being the first guy to put the body on the other guy who's trying to rebound, and and so I still think there's some stuff to clean up there, right? And it, but it's more so when it, it's physical tight quarters, you know, down really, really close to the basket on the interior. I still think his challenges kind of show up uh, more frequently in that context than when he's out in space. He His lateral movement is like off the chart. Like it's yeah. just wow, right? You can get him up to the level of screen. You can use him to blitz the pick. You can use basically use him for any pick and roll coverage you want, right? Which opens up, you know, so much opportunity to say, okay, we have a center who can – drop he's not he's not gonna be one of the best 10 drop centers in the league he just has that kind of size but he's gotten so much better at kind of doubling both the ball and his man feeling that space and managing it and so he, he's not below average kind of in that area but you his ability to move his ability to get up and show with force at the point of the screen sometimes higher there if you're blitzing or whatever that's the stuff that just kind of really opens up doing a lot of things and it's so interesting to think about I, I still wonder, like, what does Quinn think yeah. about kind of future? Because with Rudy, it was always drop, 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 right? and chase over the screen on the perimeter, and he's not married to that. With he's, he's, I don't want to say he's fully married to that with Clint, but that's I, I think any coach would lean that way with Clint, but yeah. the kind of the predominant thing you do. But with Anyeka, like you can literally do almost anything from a scheme perspective. And part of that depends upon which other four defenders are on the floor and all that it's lineup construction and stuff. But it's it's so fascinating to me to think about how he kind of opens things up. Uh, and then I know we're going to probably talk about, well, what does that mean for what the Hawks need to put next to him? If, if yeah. let's, I imagine him as a starter, right? Um, there's a lot to think through kind of secondary and tertiary kind of decisions that kind of kind of flow from that. But for me, it's he's, you know, so confident in his ability to move and cover ground and cover space and help and make up, you know, recover into the play from when he's out of the play and things like that. That That's to me, he's like top 10 in the league kind of in those areas where he's kind of fighting to be consistently averages the rebounding and kind of down uh, against really big physical hunters on the interior. But I think he's made real progress there and I hope he and think he will continue to make progress, but that's where he's more of an average center out in space and all that sort of stuff. I think he's like top 10 there. Yeah. And not to keep comparing him to Clint, but it's kind of unavoidable because of the fact that um, one of the challenges with having both of them. And again, good challenges is that they're very different. So you can't just run the same stuff. And a lot of, especially the first two years, I think they, they did. They had, they had, they kind of asked on Yeka to do a lot of what Clint was doing. And that is tough on him. That's, they're not the same kind of player. And, I'm glad you brought that up because Akongwu's, I'm not going to say his only or primary or even, but like a main strength of his is the fact that he is so good on the perimeter. Like that's the the the, the thought bubble around Clint, even in the draft, was like this guy's going to be a monster on the perimeter defensively for a center. How many how many how many true centers who play most of their time there are as quick and as mobile as versatile as he is? The list is very very short, and part of that is that he is not very big. So that's that's the trade off. You're he's not he's not, he's not ever going to be a seven footer. They're probably going to have to if they go uh, invest in Clint, uh, if they invest in Onyeka long term. Your backup's going to probably have to be a guy with some heft for certain matchups and certain things. But there's a lot of positive for that trade off too because they can do 
a lot of different things. And I'm glad you said it as well. Kongu can still play draw. He still can be physical. And I think people look at his size and I still, maybe I'm sure you do too. There are still people that I get in my mentions that think that he just can't, that he can't play center or that he's not a center. And it's like, well, I get it. He's not 6'11". He's not even 6'10". He's probably 6'8 and a half. And that's, it is limiting on some level, but um, just to say this out loud, for every moment of his professional career, the Hawks have viewed him as a center. There's been no talk about him moving to power forward. He is a center. He's functioned as a center defensively, offensively. Yeah, maybe down the line, is there a world if they somehow had a backup who could shoot? Could he play some four? Sure he could. He, he's very versatile like that. But like his role is center, and they, they, they've always viewed him that way. And I think that it's good to kind of just embrace the versatility of that. There are limitations to certain matchups and certain things that he probably isn't going to be as good as a 7-1 guy would be at. But he's so good at other things that it gives Quinn freedom. And you brought it, you brought Quinn up too. I'm looking forward to the Quinn era in a lot of different ways. But this is one where I, I want to see what it looks like when when or if they kind of build a little bit more defensively around Onyeka. Because they did that a little bit more this year. I think you'll, you can speak to that even better than I could, X's and O's wise. But let's just say, thought bubble wise, let's just say they, 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 they trade Clint for, the, for this exercise. The defensive structure is really going to be interesting because for the first time they could just actually like, okay, we're going to plan on Onyeka being our guy for 32 minutes a night, 30 minutes a night. And that I think would change what they did, not only personnel wise, but scheme wise. I mean, there are limitations with Trey, but like you can switch more and do all those things. So uh, I'll throw it to you as far as like what it might look like and what Onyeka can do. But I'm glad you brought it up because he, he the appeal of them of him for me anyway, defensively is that he can, he can do any, he can do anything. And he's so good on the perimeter that, that, that is a true X factor that like, especially in the playoffs, certain matchups, like if you have a center that can guard on the perimeter like that comfortably and really well and switch and be, uh, ver- be scheme versatile, there's a lot that you can unlock with that. Yeah, absolutely. You kind of, you've seen like with Boston in this playoffs, for example, Trey wanted to draw out Horford, right? Game six against Miami, uh, Jimmy forced the switch onto Horford and got that three shot foul, right? Yep. And Horford has historically been, you know, definitely above average and good switching. He's just getting a little older now and it's a different kind of thing. Right. Um, and so to have a guy who can kind of do that is, is really valuable, especially the later in the season that you get. What I think about when I think about, okay, let's imagine the Yeka as a starter for me, it's like, I still want John Collins on this team is the number one thought that I have. Right. Yeah. I because so if you're going to get, if you're going to get Yeka away from the rim, you want a four who can protect the rim, who can, you know, help from the weak side, who can help rebound and all those sorts of things. And, and, and it's not like John's some dominant rebounder, but he's a really good rebounder for a four. For a four. Uh, yeah. Four, four, right? Um, you, 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 that's, and then on top of that, if you, and you can get into foul trouble, John can slide over and, I don't know, do 70% of what Aneka does at center, you know, just from a, from a kind of competent level, he can get out, you know, in those sorts of things. He's not as quick and, and agile as Anyeka, but he's works hard. He knows where to be. He's proactive. And so if you need like another, if you're, if your backup center is going to be a big guy who can help you against Embiid or whoever the other kind of, you know, bigs are in the league and stuff like that, you know, John gives you a guy that you can, you know, can help on the back line when Anyeka is up high on the floor and, and all of that. Now you could always try to go find someone else who can do that besides John. Right. But I, but in my mind, it's like that the decision of, would be is, is kind of married in, in my head. Maybe something unexpected or something I don't see will happen, 
that's there. The other part is that all of the interest that, you know, some folks might have to play Hunter more at four, Bay more at four. To me, that gets a little harder unless you're just outright switching. You mentioned switching. Yeah. So I think you I think you sort of sort of maybe kind of start to get back into a corner a little bit with how you're gonna operate your smaller lineups with Anyeka if you're thinking about sliding those guys that have in the past spent more time at three to the four. So it has I think Anyeka's ready to start. Uh, you know, I, I think it's if the Hawks can make uh, you know a kind of a a move that brings back the right kind of stuff for Clint. I think it's worth thinking about that, you know, but for me, I think you really have to think about, okay, what does the forward position look like to really set ourselves up for success? There's some careful things to be careful about in that area of the roster construction that I think that, um, that seems like is missing from the conversation a lot of times for me. Yeah, I think there is a on one hand, there's sort of a paradigm where you you don't want to cross it and go be, be too small and too um, reliant on switching because I think you kind of have to if you do, especially Hunter at the four. Um, and you know, always there's an element of like you're gonna have a hard time being a full on switch team with Trey because Trey's not a switch guy. I mean, it, uh, you kind of want to protect him in some ways from that. Maybe you go switch switch two through four, and there's there's ways to do it. Sorry, two through five. There's ways to do that, but yeah, I mean, between that. And you want a little bit more heft again next to him. I think I think J- he and Jalen played well together this year, especially the second half of the season. That was encouraging. And Jalen has great size for a four. He's not the same kind of player as Collins, but he at least has the size you're looking for next to a Kong Wu. And I said it once before, but you do have to have a real backup who has real size because there's certain matchups, uh, you know, even if, if there's only three or four of them, Jokic and Bede, et cetera, where it's not that you know, that uh, Kongu can't defend those guys, but you're gonna you're just gonna need more size for uh, for 48 minutes or 42 minutes against Jokic or Embiid or whatever, and just for versatility. Like and Bruno, I like Bruno. I know that you like Bruno quite a bit. Probably is not going to be the guy that I want to be their number two center if they trade Clint. I think Bruno is a third center and a guy who can play more if he needs to is a good idea. But I would I would anticipate if they were to move off from Clint, they would acquire another guy who can play some real minutes. I would guess. Um, go ahead. I was to say it's not just the stars too. It's not just like yeah, that's what I mean. <laughs> it's like it's that like that's like Valentunas who just are oh, well, yeah. like if there's a smaller guy, will just work, you know. And so there's other other kind of you know less you know you know. He, he's a guy players. by the way. Valentunas is the guy is a guy who is who is given a like, of particular fits. Like he's actually absolutely. Been, uh, I remember watching those guys play. Was it in, was it in Birmingham? It was preseason game. It didn't even matter. Yeah. But like yeah. it was Clint, Clint didn't play and Onyeka got just mauled for like six or eight minutes. Yeah. It's not that it, it's not that he can't defend him in the future, but that sticks out to me as I was, I was sitting courtside that night. I'm like, Hey, that's not going to work. Like yeah. He's, he's yeah. so much bigger than him. Anyway. And, 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 and in the division, he had, he's had trouble with Plumlee now and then Plumlee like works really, really hard kind of, you know, on the offensive glass and stuff like that. So now, now Onyeka was just much more solid the last couple months of the season yeah. in that area. But I still think there's something to show around, we can trust him with that consistently. I, I think there's still something to evaluate there and to be like, I'm not sure we're, if we're there yet or not. Um, and so, and so that, that's what's so you know fascinating to me. I mean, can you go into the season with kind of your top four guys at four and five being, or four of your five guys at four or five being Anyeka, JC, Jalen, and then a mix of Hunter and Bay, however you want to line that up. I mean, that, that there's a lot of switching. There's, a, yeah. there's, there, you know, there's, um, or, uh, just um, a lot of help up at the level of screen and using other defenders to kind of help behind that. And so that's really interesting to, to, to think about. But that, you know, it, 
and I think about what other teams have been doing. Like Toronto's been playing that style for a couple of seasons now, right? I, who knows what they'll be next year under a different coach and things like that. But there have been teams kind of that have tried to make that work. But if you go back and look at the track record, trying to do that across a whole regular season, those teams don't typically land like top 10 in defensive rating. It, it's really hard to play that way the whole season and to hold up. NBA fans are like, why do teams still play drop? It's so easy to beat. Drop is low maintenance, you know, for <laughs> the regular especially. season. Yeah, exactly. exactly. So, so I think you have to have uh, the ability to kind of um, not work your big men so hard every game across the whole season, kind of choose your spots, develop the proficiency you need to maybe use that more in the postseason. Um, and so there's just a, there's a lot to a lot to think about there. Clint brings a ton in an 82 game season. And when you get into the postseason, as we see, every team needs options, you know, at, especially at the four and the five, you know, oh, yeah. depending upon what, what what you're chasing kind of from a scenario perspective and stuff. So, but, it, but it, you know, for me, Anyeka just got to keep getting better at the the tactics and the kind of the, the dark arts of playing down inside mm-hmm. and without getting out leverage by bigger guys and stuff like that. He's such a hard worker. I, I'm confident he'll get there. I just, I don't know that he's like there yet. Maybe you know, 85% there maybe from where the season – from the way it looked when the season ended or something like that, but still a little bit of ground to cover there, and that's kind of the last thing I'm kind of looking for in defense. Yeah, he's, he's 22, and that's that's part of the deal. As he plays more, he's already gotten so much better at a lot of that, a lot of that stuff, and, you know, I mentioned it at the very top – his rebounding has improved and you know, it's not always about individual rebounding, especially for bigs. Um, like for instance, I know that when Clint was off the floor this year, the Hawks basically had a bottom five defensive rebound rate. And part of that's that Clint is again, maybe the best rebounder in the league, certainly in the top five, but Onyeka is not Clint. He's not going to be able to anchor that way. So you have to have other plans, your other guys, whether it be DeJounte or your forwards or whatever, they got to help. They got to help out Onyeka more. And he's gotten better in that, in that area. Uh, you know, not fouling is going to be key on that stuff. So we covered all that, all those bases, but there are things to consider. Um, and just to wrap up the, the, the Clint part of this, like you and I are definitely not trying to jettison Clint necessarily. It's no. just one of those things where, um, like we said at the top, they have to cut. I think it's for me, I think it's time to make a decision. Now, does it mean they have to? But, you know, when they drafted the Kong, we, we knew then at some point they're going to have to probably choose. And if they didn't have to choose, it was because the Kong didn't pan out. I think we've seen the Kongu is painting out on some level. It doesn't mean that we, that we know what he's going to be yet, but he's proven enough to where it's like, okay, guys, path one, path two, it's just the reality of the NBA for asset asset allocation. Like you can't just pay both of them big money and have them not cross over. Anyway, long story short, we can move <laughs> on to the offense. Um, so I'll go here on the offensive side first. He He is incredibly efficient. I, I looked at his profile. I'm sure you did too in preparation for this. Uh, I pulled some numbers. He finished in the top 10 of the league qualified players, again, of the league in true shooting, effective field goal percentage, field goal percentage, and two-point percentage. So basically, he wasn't taking the most difficult shots in the world. We'll acknowledge, we'll acknowledge that. Clint's up there, too, in a lot of these categories, as much as Hawks fans don't like when Clint tries to finish. Um, but he is super efficient. I mean, I, I think in the second half of the season, uh, post-All-Star breaks, so I guess the last third, he had like a 72% true shooting. Like, he, he finishes everything around the rim. Um, he's a good free throw shooter at this point. Take a step forward there. And we even saw the jump shot just a little bit. Quinn was encouraging him a little bit. So I want to start there. Like, what did you make of that progression? Because he's always going to have some challenges with his size, but the touch is not a concern at all. And they've been trying to push him a little bit when it comes to 
maybe a little bit more floaters. He shot, uh, I think, 13 mid-rangers this year. Like he was, he was taking some more shots out of outside of 12 feet. And I don't know if that's going to be a main feature moving forward, but they've always believed that he can shoot it at some point, and we're kind of seeing a little bit more of that. Yeah, I mean, it, it's there's so many different places you can start with him offensively from a conversation yeah. standpoint, which is which is great, right? Um, but for me, it, it does really kind of start with the touch, right? The, the touch is already elite. Right? It's just, it I is. mean, incredible. Um, and, and, and that opens up so much, you know, he doesn't, it helps, especially since that he's not the biggest guy. Sometimes he has to go to the floater because you know, yeah. he can't get past a, you know, really big defender that's there or, or what have you that opens up so, so much. Right. And then if you think about they haven't done with him in the past, so we've talked about it, you know, here and there, if you want to get him to, into the short role, right, to help, you know, Trey or, you know, DeJounte, whoever's running a pick and roll in the middle of the floor, a center who doesn't have the threat of the floater can be defended completely differently than a guy who has the floater plus the ability to dribble and pass, right, which he has both of those things positionally, right? He can dribble it. He can pass it. And so that creates so much more strain on the opposing defense when the ball, let's say, trades blitz, the ball goes to Anyeka, say, a step you know, above the, the, the free throw line. He's reading the floor. Where's my defender coming from? Where's the second defender coming from or someone rotating from? The I can create my own shot. I can put it on the floor, get closer to the rim and attack a, a smaller defender. I can read the floor and make the right pass. That is like so much more than you can ever expect from like John Collins, for example. Right. You know, um, I think Jalen has some of that, um, Mm -hmm. but to have it at the five is just a different thing. Right. We saw in this, in the series, you know, um, you know, where Golden State kept, kept, you know, wanting to kind of, um, kind of, you know, take advantage of Anthony Davis kind of staying, you know, low and, Mm -hmm. and draw him out. Right. And, and, Looney wasn't able to really kind of force anything there, right? And Draymond, I mean, really no one kind of respects the shot, you know, creation at all. I mean, you're at least going to pick your poison and be like, hey, Draymond, go put up shots. You know, we got stuff yeah. running around out here, right? Um, but it's the ability to, to kind of catch the ball, turn, do any of those three things up well above average and use that elite touch if it's going to end up being driving at the right. There, there just aren't very many guys that can that can do that, right? We watched Bam in postseasons struggle, kind of creating his own shot. Even though the Miami offense is to a degree built around that, at least until Jimmy got here, right? That was it was even higher in the kind of pecking order in their offensive choices there. And I would say right now, Onyeka has a lot more touch than Bam has, right? And then the jump shots coming. I think what did he make what three, two, two or three threes in the either regular season? Um, yeah, I think it was, yeah, he was four for 13. It looks like okay. yeah, four, four. Close, yeah. <laughs> and then he had that, then he had that uh, top of the key three in the, the Boston series Yep, took it with just complete confidence. And so for me, it's like, I think that's coming along too. The, the, now the question I have is how much do you want to buy into him? How much do you want him to prioritize, be able to hit that shot? Because he can, in my mind right now, he can put so much more stress on the defense attacking like with the dribble and with the floater and all that sort of stuff. And so I just think in my mind, like Hawks fans want to get like kind of like, Oh, well, I want to see him take a hundred threes next year. It's like, be careful kind of what you're designing there. Right. Because 
to an ascent. Sometimes when you're trying to create a second, third, fourth dimension for players through a development path, you start to erode areas where their primary value comes from and their strongest areas of play. And so to me, it kind of depends upon if if he's playing with someone like, oh, if Quinn's like, we're going to have John dive more in the pick and roll to give John more opportunities like that. So we're going to put a neck in the corner and let him, you know, stretch face the floor in that sense. Fantastic, right? But in, in my mind, it's like I don't want to see Anyeka start set shots from 13 feet like four times a game, you know, or whatever, yeah. right? I want to see him continue to attack, 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 stress the defense and force them to react to you because I trust him to read the floor, read the play, make the right decision at a level that no one else at the four and five, maybe Jalen's coming along there too, right? Um, but that – on a, on a team that's built around Trey, that is so incredibly valuable to have. And in my mind, when I think about, okay, I'm in the war room trying to make a decision about, you know, Clint, you know, can we get it? It's the offensive pairing with Trey that is the number one reason I'm trying, I'm thinking of elevating Anyeka in terms of kind of what I'm building around uh, there. Um, it, not so much the defense, even though I think he came along defensively as well. So it's it's the ball handling that we've only seen a little bit of. It's the shooting, which we just started to see. The passing, I think we've seen a decent amount of that. To have all of those dimensions at 22 years old, a guy who hasn't really been a starter, is it's so uncommon. Yeah, no, he, he checks so many boxes. And this is the first year that you know, I think his his chemistry with Trey improved. It's not what it has been with Clint. That's one of the things that's been overlooked, I think, by some people is that uh, Trey loves Clint, and it's very obvious as to why that is. Clint has so many reps in the pick and roll going back to Houston, and he's he's a great screener, all those things. Anyeka's gotten better there, um, but you're right, 100%. Like, the fact that he his processing speed, in addition to his finishing, his touch, and also he's a good offensive rebounder. He's a very good offensive rebounder. He's not Clint, but that's like – he's not very far off, honestly. Like, the numbers are – I think he was in the top 15 or so of the league – this year and offensive rebound rate. Um, that's an area where his activity level could really help him. You don't have to be huge physically to be a great offensive rebounder, um, which I think he has already shown. So like the fact that he does all those things, the passing, the, the, the uh, potential playmaking um, and doesn't take too much off the table because, you know, it's one of those things where I'm guilty of this too. You can fall in love with the fact that maybe he'll be able to shoot. And I've always thought he'll be able to, the Hawks do too. We've seen that like Quinn drew up a few plays for him. It became sort of a big talking point. But I totally agree with what you said. I don't think his primary or even a main part of his value is ever going to be that. I think that it would help if he could take 100 threes eventually in his career and shoot 35%. Sure, that's a valuable thing you can do. Or, or you could be a more, uh, maybe more dynamic 15-foot jump shooter than needing all the time in the world like he needs right now to take, take, that, take that set shot that you mentioned. But like, that isn't going to be what breaks him out. I don't. I don't think. Maybe if he becomes just this other world issue that, we, that we're not seeing, but I think that's not like that's not likely to happen. So even with the touch he has, him attacking, him shooting floaters, him finishing at the rim is going to be much more effective, especially when you throw in his passing, like you said. So yeah, I think in the past they've been better actually offensively, as much as this sounds funny for people that don't like Clint's offense with Trey and Clint than they have been with Trey and Onyeka. But it's not, it's not because um, of anything other than the pick and roll chemistry there and the offensive rebounding and the way that Clint and Trey had this great partnership. Anyeka does offer a lot more offensively. That's not breaking ground to say that. 
the only area really where Clint is more proven is on the glass and maybe as like a lob finisher. And also Clint's taking a, probably taking a half step back in that area. He's not the same explosive athlete that he used to be. Anyeka has so much more to offer. I think everybody knows that, but he really does so, so many different things that can help them that it's hard not to be excited about that, especially as he makes just, you know, incremental gains. Like for instance, I wrote some stuff down here. His, turn, his turnover rate has gone down every year in the league. That's a natural thing for a young guy, but he's not, he's not a high turnover player. Um, you know, his usage rate is still pretty low, but it's ticking up every year. His, re- his rebound rate is ticking up every year. Like he's not blowing anybody away with anything other than the efficiency when it comes to the numbers, but the fact that he's making the right decisions and he puts, I think you said it before, puts pressure on the defense. That's, you can't, you can't overstate how, how much, how important that is with Trey or without like the fact that he can do all those things and yeah, I don't know if he's going to get to the pl- to the part where they're like they're like playing through him. That's been a that's been a popular idea. Like you know, can't they can't they play through a Kongu? I mean, maybe they maybe they can in two years. I don't know, but you don't have to be able to do that. There's there's a middle ground there where like you could just be a short role playmaker and do do some more stuff. They don't have to like run their office through him like 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 some teams do. But you know, the band comparisons are always out there. I, I don't I hate comparisons for the most part, but he is a similar as, as probably I, I get that's one of those comparisons where. I don't hate it as much as I hate most comparisons. <laughs> you know what I mean? Cause like yeah. if you're picking a guy in the league, that's a, a current player, he's the guy you would come, you would probably pick for a Kongu right. as far as like potential skill set and size and all those things. But you know, not even marrying yourself to that, just like kind of let Anaka be what he does. But the fact that he does again, rebound, finish process, and maybe it's a little bit of shooting. Maybe gets to the line more kind of something as Jalen, like maybe right. just go back, go back to your point before, like being more intentional almost at attacking and getting to the line. Cause he, he makes the free throws too. Yeah. yeah. I mean, kind of going back, um, Clint as a screen, we talked a lot about that. Clint is yeah. as nuanced, right? So good. And little things like if Trey doesn't have his angle, Clint will be like, toss me the ball and I'll pitch it back to you and we'll, we'll flip it. Right. Yep. And, you know, and, and Yaka is, Shown some of that, but, but Clint has like a PhD in that, right? It's like yes. it's just like crazy how good that is. On top of that, Clint can do any kind of screen you want and almost never gets called for a foul. We talked about earlier, like the rebounding fouls. I almost, I almost yard, said it earlier when you said it because, like, that, that's, that's all his, he has so many fouls and pick and, and moving screens and weird exactly like that. Yeah. A, right. So that's there's improvement needed there. And it is, and for me, it's like if you want to get Trey as much help as possible on offense, it's Clint, right? If you want to have as much to work with as you can when Trey has to get the ball up, it's someone the skilled like Anyeka is, right? So there's there's some contrasting there. When it comes to the shooting, when I think about what the value of his shooting could be, is this. Let's imagine he's playing at the five and JC's at the four. The other team has a four and a five, and you're like, you know, we'd really like to put the guy defending John into the screen, into the pick and roll. Yeah. Well, if Yanyaka can shoot from the corner, right, you can say we're going to attack John's defender in the pick and roll, and we have the capacity to do that because we trust Yanyaka to knock down the corner three and be and be respected. Or if he's playing with Jalen, and you're like, we want to put Jalen in the short roll and make him the decision maker because his defender is the guy that has more vulnerable. You uh-huh. can put him in the court, right? So it's it's those more situational and kind of scheme and structure based kind of setups that really call on his development as a shooter to kind of really have a natural place and a productive and constructive place in the office. Not so much. We're going to get you 153s this year. You know, right. we're going to kind of create them as sort, of, as sort of that being kind of a high level goal that to me, that doesn't make any sense, but to create the versatility to 
go one four, one five, two four, two five, pick and roll, choose the defender. If Anyeka can spot up in the corner, if Anyeka can kind of help with that, that opens up so much more flexibility and optionality around how you attack, right? Which to me kind of gives a lot back to Trey to work with in a scenario where, for example, Quint's not on the team, right? And yeah. that's that's huge. And so that's where the shooting has a place for me. And that's where the shooting has value and, ha- and there's worth investing in that is to open up those those options to attack um, the other team's def- uh, more vulnerable defenders. Yeah, it, it opens some doors. It's not going to ever, again, be a primary thing, but um, that's, and again, I want to stress this one more time. Uh, Glenn and I both really value Clint, but it is limiting because Clint, obviously just cannot do anything else on offense. He's either going to be in the pick and roll or he's going to be in, in the ducker spot. And that's it. He can't space. No one's ever going to guard him out there. And that does limit you. It doesn't mean that you know, the Hawks have had great offense with, with, with Clint. It's not, they, they've been able to be good with, with Clint on the floor, still an offense, but it does kind of put you in more narrow boxes. And I think with Quinn, especially now in place as a guy probably has more, um, you know, weapon, maybe, uh, angles to attack we'll, we'll say than the previous regime probably did i think Quinn's gonna be a little bit more innovative in some ways having that club in your bag um, of a center who doesn't have to be in every action or is not going to be coming up the works and i've said it before but if for instance you even when i'll even frame this negatively on purpose let's say they find that they can't trade john because no one wants john i'm not saying that's going to happen Let's say that 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 that, that 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 happens. It's a lot, a lot, a lot easier to bring back John and rebuild John's value if Onyeka is next to him versus Clint on offense. Now, Clint and John has been their foolproof plan to play better defense in the last two years, basically three years even. But on offense, that's a big reason why John's value has dropped because he's playing with Clint and he just can't do anything except for space the floor because Clint's always there. Anyway, we've done this whole thing before, but um, because you brought up at the very beginning of the conversation, I do think that John is not the guy they have to have next to Onyeka, but I do believe that would work. Uh, we haven't seen a ton of it, but I think that would be an option if they were to go that route. And even again, if you just frame it as like they can't trade John quote unquote, because they just can't get off his contract, which by the way, I don't believe, but maybe, maybe it's the case. Um, there's an avenue there that's like defensible. It kind of just, it, it does make sense because I, I firmly believe they could trade Clint in five minutes. They could trade Clint right now. Right. It'd be very easy to do. Um, they may not get a King's ransom back for him, but there are 10 teams in the league that would improve drastically with Clint, et cetera. And yep. That's not even debatable to me. So, and by the way, yep. we're not going to try to, uh, barring a star trade, I'll just say this out loud, barring maybe like a weird Jalen Brown thing. They're not trading NECA. I, I, I think that it's yep. going to be trade Clint or, not something else, but uh, just because I feel like we should at least say that out loud. I guess there are, in theory, two ways to change the center room. I, I can't see them trading Ayaka unless it's for a star. I, I would be shocked. So, yeah, agreed, uh, agreed. Uh, and, and you know, and it, it's 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 just so interesting to think about the ways it could go. And, and like I said before, I think I think if you're building around Yaka, you keep JC unless you can find another guy who can do the things that JC does, which is not impossible, right? And it's also hard. I mean, I said it before too, but it's really, really hard. People, I'm sure hate when I say this. It's really hard to trade both your starting front court guys in the same summer. Yep. Doesn't Absolutely. mean they can't, doesn't mean they can't do it, but it would be, it's challenging. And you know, those guys, it, it probably has to be two transactions. Cause I, I doubt that a team's going to trade for John and John and Clint at the same time. So yeah. like, just practically speaking, it's not going to be, it, it's not easy to trade these two guys on 20 plus million dollar deal deal, a uh, million a year deals in the same summer they could do it but yeah anyway. yeah uh but i mean yeah the it, it's interesting because again just on on defense we know what Clint can do 
And Yek is emerging on that end with all the versatility and the athleticism and the, and the lateral. So on offense, it's funny. Clint helps Trey when the ball is in Trey's hands more than in Yekka. And Yekka has a lot more to offer when the ball is forced out of Trey's hands. It's sort of that's sort of a thing, one thing, too, kind of scenario, right? Or on defense, it's like, okay, you're just doing different stuff scheme-wise. And that's really, really the thing. And then if 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 Anyaka can become that guy who can shoot from the corner, you can start mixing and matching your pick and roll attacks, you know, as well. So, you know, Anyaka opens up to a lot more options where I think you have a, a bit of a more rigid template you're working with with Clint. Agreed. Although there's still a ton of value that comes from that template. I think we've done a good job of giving all the caveats. I'm sure people that listen to this podcast are still going to yell at us for whatever we said about both guys. But um, <laughs> we, will, we will do a whole, a, po- a whole podcast on Clint as well at some point and i'm sure we'll repeat some of this but it is uh it's worth just pointing out the nuances and look it's never antagonistic it's just that these guys play the same position and they're different and it's uh it's a, a decision they have to make at some point so that's why we're going so far into that but yeah as far as i like, bring it all full circle full circle Onyeka does a lot of things well he's still 22 years old like he's i'm looking forward to having him um be in a bigger role and showing what he can do because I think he can be a, a game-changing center. I don't think he's going to be an all-NBA player probably just because the odds of that are never uh, in anyone's favor for the most part. But I think he can be a, a high-end, you know, top 10 starting center in the league if things go well. And that's that's a heck of a player. Um, and I, I look forward to seeing if that can happen. And if it happens, how soon it might happen and all that fun stuff. But we covered a lot here. Feel free to add anything else that you want to, Glenn. And if not, we will uh, get out of here. I think you put a, a great bow on it right there. <laughs> Professional segues and things. Uh, yeah. Glenn. Thank you for doing this on a Memorial Day, giving me some time in the middle of a move on a holiday, and you are the greatest in the business for doing that. But where can people find your work normally? Yeah, so ATL29 podcast. Um, I think I think Kevin and I will record, um, it, 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 that, timing-wise, probably before this drops, right? There you go. But, we'll but as we work through the finals, <laughs> Kevin and I will you know, probably do an episode every five days or something like that, you know, sharing our opinions there. And then we're we're – probably just days away from starting some conversations around the draft as well. It's time. Um, I, I know you're ramping up too. And, and yep. even the stuff you've already put out there really enjoyed the great stuff coming out here. Um, uh, you know, I, I, I dabble compared to the guys you bring on the people you bring on here, right. Stuff like that. So it's great. Um, but I, I try to build a perspective around who I think the Hawks should draft at like 15, right. More so yep. than, and I do typically put a top 40 out, you know, but um or so, uh, but I'm really more focused around kind of what the Hawks can could do at their spot and things like that. So, um, so yeah, find me there. Um, I still support you know and, and active with guys at Peace Through Hoops and all that sort of stuff. And then on Twitter, if you're not following me at Willis underscore Glenn, always enjoy conversation over there. Check out Glenn's work; he is amazing at breaking things down, and I'm sure the draft coverage will be uh, entirely fantastic from you and very below average from Kevin. I can. <laughs> I'm kidding. I, I'm kidding. A lot of ways, folks. Don't don't worry. Kevin and I are still friends. Um, but as for everybody else listening to the podcast, please subscribe to the show. We've been doing this player capsule series. This is, I think, the fifth or sixth player we've done. We have more to come because Glenn is gracious enough to give you all the time. So subscribe to this show. Follow Glenn's work, and we'll see you all next time.